I'm here today in Halifax, also known as uh, Jibuktuk, in unceded Mi'kmaq territory, to talk with some people about an issue that affects us all and will continue to affect us all with growing intensity and intimacy. I'm speaking of aging and healthcare for seniors, an ever-increasingly large number of seniors in our communities, I might add. If I were to ask you to raise your hand if you're aging, as I speak, all of you would raise your hands, I hope because it is obvious that that is happening and is inexorable. However, if you were to look closely at the politics of the policies of government and the healthcare system in general, the consequences of this fact of aging do, does not appear to have been quite as obvious to them. In the words of Jim Morrison of The Doors, no one gets out of here alive. But a more critical issue is what happens during the inevitable decline on the way to the inevitable end. As children, we are cared for and nurtured as we learn to take care of ourselves and grow towards independence. There's no such happy outcome for seniors. The movement of seniors is towards ever-increasing need for more care and a total loss of independence. Again, I'm stating the obvious for those who can see it. David Foote, arguably Canada's most famous demographer, wrote a book called Boom, Bust and Echo, and in it, he pointed to what would happen when the majority of baby boomers, those between, born between 1946 and 1964, inevitably became seniors. Well, that day has arrived and is accelerating with a vengeance. It is a fact that slightly more than a third of our population are moving towards fragility, a loss of independence, and an increasing need for care and acute care at that. The big question of the day, are we ready? My guests today have deeply considered opinions on that question and we'll get to them now. Here today with uh, Dr. Jean Ferguson, a geriatric psychiatrist and the only specialist on Cape Breton Island, geriatric specialist on Cape Breton Island, and Bob and Norma Silverstein, uh, uh, who are also joining us. And we're going to have a conversation around the issue of senior care in uh, Nova Scotia and in our, and in our country. Um, I'm going to start with you, Jean. Uh, you're the only geriatric specialist in Cape Breton Island, is that correct? I'm a psychiatrist who subspecialized in geriatric psychiatry, yes, and right now we have no geriatricians. No geriatricians? How, no. how is that for you? What happens in the run of a day? Tell me what it's like for you, because I imagine that would be quite um, onerous. Well, uh, I think, you know, it's challenging for our patients because we're missing that level of expertise. Uh, and so, um, yeah, it's, it's a busy place. What are you hearing? What, what, is, what are some of the things that you're hearing? I know there's confidentiality and you can't tell me uh, necessarily specific stories, but what are some of the things that are happening that are, that are causing you concern and, uh, and, and cause the, uh, uh, you to start working with uh, Bob and Norma? What, 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 what are some of the things that you saw? Well, as our population uh, ages, we've got uh, seniors who have dementias or they are frail with multiple medical conditions and they need more support than perhaps their family doctor can give them. Another challenge we've had in recent years here is that uh, there's a good number of my patients that don't have a family doctor. And that varies. At, at times there are a few, and at other times there are more than a few, and that's a real challenge. Is that a problem just in the city, or is, that a, is, it, a, is it a rural issue, or is it both? It's both now here in Nova Scotia. We've got a, a shortage of family doctors. Okay. What, what is the, what, if, if there was one thing that keeps you up at night, what would it be that worries you? 
Well, I think the fact that our medical care in Nova Scotia is being uh, stripped away in the rural areas and uh, centralized in Halifax, and, and that is a real problem for us. We are four to six hours away from Halifax, and we're, I think that in itself is responsible for deaths here, that, for needless deaths. Right. Right. And and that and and so the, so the the access to healthcare in general is is uh, spotty. Would that be fair to say? Uh, I think it's more than spotty. I think right. that there are critical components of healthcare that have been removed from Cape Breton over the last three four years. Mm-hmm. As a result, as I said, we we have people dying who don't need to die. Okay, and the, and the, and that is. That's something that you're seeing at, at, a, at, a, at a rate that I, is, it, is it, would you consider it to be alarming or is it accelerating or how does that work? It's certainly accelerating. Uh, you know, there, we had specialists in different areas here a few years ago, then we couldn't have imagined uh, living without those specialists, but now we don't have them anymore. Uh, we also had more family doctors, uh, but we now have a shortage of those as well. And that the, the 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 latest sort of uh, iteration that the government's trying to do it does it look like it's going to uh, solve that or or what is happening is it is it still is it getting worse? I think uh, doctors in Nova Scotia are very concerned. Uh, we are not confident that we're we're glad that there's some movement in the right direction, but we're not confident that we're going to be able to stem this tide. Right. Um, what is the what is the situation around uh, the nursing homes? What how do, how does that work from your perspective? When when somebody is in need of a nursing home, what happens? Well, you have to uh, go to continuing care in Nova Scotia and put your name on a list, and uh, you have a choice of which home you want to go to. If you can wait long enough uh, for your name to come up, if you can't, uh, you may be in a position where the government will find you the first available bed, which could be a long way from your home community. Mm-hmm. And is that, is, if, if I have money, is there, is there a difference? Can I, can I make a difference or is that just everybody's on the same list? Well, in, in Halifax, uh, you can. Uh, I'm not sure what's available in other areas of the province. In Cape Breton, uh, if you need a nursing home per se, uh, you don't have any choice. Uh, you, there, there are assisted living facilities but they don't provide the same kind of care as nursing home. Here, all of our nursing homes are uh, through the centralized waitlist. Centralized waitlist. So uh, I also have Bob and Norma Silverstein with us, and, and uh, hello. Um, uh, can you tell us a bit of, can you tell us your story, please? How did, how did you end up here? How did, how did, how, what is your experience of the system as it works or well, doesn't? My parents uh, went to the assisted living place, Williston House in Sydney first. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's only one shift of nurse, nursing care a uh, day there. And uh, as people age, they worsen in some areas. And my father's mobility was quite an issue because um, it, it didn't get any better. And gradually, he decreased uh, his abilities. So um, he, he came, he called in um, the... AMTs too often one month last year uh, because he. Had what are the the AMTs? What what is? AMTs the uh, uh, ambulance people. Okay, all right. And, um, 
they uh, came, they would come over to Williston House and help him get up off the floor. Most of his falls were fairly insignificant. They would be like, um, he'd be trying to move from the sofa to his walker and he might miss the, uh, or he might not make it oh. and he'd slip down to the floor. Once he was on the floor, he couldn't get up by himself. So there was no, and there was no facility, no uh, caregivers on site? No, well, this would be after, the, the only uh, shift that had nursing care was from seven to, to three. Okay. So after three, it was more of an issue, although um, the nurse herself was a little petite lady and couldn't always do it, but sometimes she could summon help. Mm -hmm. And anyway, um, there came a point uh, in, the early, in the early spring that um, my I had a call from uh, the ambulance <coughs> said they were going to take my father to the emergency room and that um, he, they were not going to return him to Williston House. Right. And that um, if I, you know, if, if I wanted to uh, get into the act instead of turning over to the the adult protective people, I needed to get to the emergency room. So I, I went over and sat with him until about one, one or two in the morning when we finally got in. <laughs> and um, he was able to walk into the examining room with his walker. And um, then he, he was there for two weeks because there was no availability of a nursing home in Cape Breton and um, by the time he was in the emergency overflow for two weeks he had lost his mobility he couldn't even bear weight by the time the two weeks was up so was it the ambulance just to, just to check was it the ambulance driver's decision to to take him to to the uh, emergency and that was they had they said they had no choice because mm -hmm. if a person has been falling too much they're, the place where they reside is considered dangerous, and they okay. are not allowed to return the person to um, wherever they were. Just, just interrupt. And Jean, is that is that uh, a, a typical that 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 decision could is is made uh, by certain people along the echelon as we go along? Um, I think it's fairly typical. We often uh, try to keep seniors in their home or in assisted living until. It gets to the point that their level of care is greater than what can be provided at home or in an assisted living facility. And then, uh, you know, someone at that point is going to make a call and say, well, you know what, you need a higher level of care. Unfortunately, the way in which that's done now is through the emergency room in many cases, which is the wrong place. Well, that, and that goes back to the issue that you were saying about the family doctor. A family doctor would normally be the, the obvious choice for that discussion, wouldn't it? Well, if the family doctor had some authority to actually make some change, but again, uh, the only place that placement is happening is through uh, continuing care. Um, so unfortunately, we end up in some cases going through the emergency room to access that. Right. So it's a bit of a hodgepodge then. Yeah. yeah. So Jean, back to your story. You, uh, sorry, Norma, back to your story. What happened? Well, my parents were on... Uh, 
we were placed on, on the uh, waiting list for a 24-hour care nursing facility. And uh, it, Dr. Ferguson happened to be the one who evaluated them and uh, allowed the family to make their choice because my parents would not make the choice themselves to be on the list. So we were, they were on the list for almost a year. Mm -hmm. uh, they were still waiting when this happened, this, uh, the incidents of my father falling too much. Mm -hmm. So then uh, I was forced to sign a community variance. They, they pretended I had choices, but I really didn't have a choice from, from day one because um, the law said my father couldn't be returned to where he had lived and I couldn't look after him. And uh, so I, I, when in signing the community variance, I agreed that they could place him anywhere in Nova Scotia where they had an availability. Right. And that's why he stayed in the, in the emergency overflow for two weeks because nothing came up. That, you know, no space anywhere in Nova Scotia. Well, or that was, I don't know if they were waiting to see if they, if they could find one here or what mm -hmm. they were doing, but um, nothing came up in the two weeks. So then on a Friday, they said, well, there is an opening in Sherbrooke and they were going to send him up there. So I looked into it over the weekend. It looked like a nice place. I said, well, it's a long way from us. But how far would it, how far would that have been? Then? About uh, three hours. Three hours. Three hours. Okay. Three hours. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I've heard of people who've had to go to the Valley and places like that. And so they really have a miserable yeah. Then he would await the, the return to Cape Breton when a, a suitable place came up here. But then on Monday when I went in uh, to, to see them, uh, they said, oh, well, there's an opening now at, uh, at uh, Harvestone. And so our, um, we decided, well, we'll be able to go there and visit him often, so we'll have to make that do. And Dr. Ferguson had not wanted my parents to be separated because they have been married, had been married for 70 years. And uh, How many years? 70? 70, 70 years. 70 years, yes. In the paper the year yeah. before because they right. almost made it to 71 before right. father passed away. But anyway, um, they had to be separated at that point. And so, I mean, I had been picking my mother up with help to, to, because she had a walker too. Mm -hmm. Her up to see dad and then she wouldn't want to leave. And I did take her back to her facility. And, you know, it was just a very difficult time for us. And so how far were their facilities apart? Well, he was in the regional hospital and she was at the Cove which isn't a very long distance, but it's still a hassle, you know. Yeah. Yes. Pick her yeah. up with a walker. I had to have somebody else with me that could uh, help her once mm -hmm. we got to the hospital because I couldn't get out of the car, couldn't park it anywhere that she could then walk in the door. So um, anyway, we'd have to arrange all of this. And then when she got there, she has some dementia too and, she couldn't understand why dad couldn't come back with her and mm -hmm. why she couldn't stay with him. It was a very difficult trying time. And so I know why Dr. Ferguson didn't want them to be separated. Yeah. And that's, and that's, is genius, uh, Dr. Ferguson, is that a typical story, do you think? Is that yes. too, typ too typical, is what I'm saying? 
Yes. Yeah. Really, and the and this and the separation becomes problematic also, as you mentioned, because of the dementia. Mm -hmm. yeah. It does, and families struggle, and uh, families are um, families are really having a hard time uh, to de dealing with these situations. Yeah. So, Bob, you were there uh, working with the situation and sort of being as supportive as possible. Well, I had to support Norman because uh, it, it is a lot of work actually going between places and also psychologically having to deal with the emotion of the world. Mm -hmm. Dealing with our father going from mobility to non-mobility. All of a sudden he was even losing uh, his abilities to even feed himself and all. Norman had to go in and feed him. Mm -hmm. uh, partially because there's no one else that's going to feed him for 45 minutes to an hour when you don't have enough staff as it is. Right, and and so did you? Did you? The two of you notice the the staffing issues? Was that apparent to you right away? Yeah. Well, in um, the emergency room, it's always crazy. So I don't know how yes. people you could even fit in there. Yeah. <laughs> but they don't have time to spend time with a patient. My father was just moved from the bed to the chair and back to the bed, and he was not given any opportunity to even put the splint on his leg and stand and use a walker, they, they didn't have time to mess around. So they just did right. very least that they... This put. is before the bed sores. Yeah, this was, yeah. Well, this was, this was our first episode. This was the first episode. So, so this, this had, a, just discuss for a second the impact on your lives. I mean, you, you, you have a business to run and you have a life to lead and yet, you found yourself having to spend an awful lot of time, it sounds like, going back and forth. That's okay, right. It's and a burden. I'm, I'm, I have had rheumatoid arthritis for 30 years, and um, my, my uh, health is pretty good because I swim and I have medication that I, I have injection every month, self-injector. And so, uh, but it's, it was a heavy demand for somebody who has rheumatoid arthritis to have yes. to deal with this. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, I can see that. And, and uh, what, what would be, what, it, it, this was the first incident. What happened next? What was the, what was the? Okay, well, then we moved over to Harvestone. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, uh, we would go visit dad there, I would bring mother and go through the same routine about why can't we, he come over to where, where we were and mm -hmm. why can't I stay? And, it, it, that went on for a couple of months. Finally, they got an, uh, a spot open at Harborstone and, and asked us if mother should come over. That, that was part of the plan, you know, down the road. So yes. As they had availability, she would have a, a room. So that is somewhat the, the burden of going to get her to come and see him and all that. Yeah. Um, but also... We noticed that um, when we would go to visit dad, he would always be sitting in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. And um, I would ask, couldn't he, because sometimes he'd be sound asleep in the wheelchair, slumped over, and he looked very uncomfortable. And we'd want to take him into the, his room, and he was very hard to wake up even. In that mm -hmm. So I asked them, could, not, could they please give dad a nap after his noontime meal because he was used to doing that for years. He'd been, you know, he'd after mm -hmm. lunch, he'd go and have a nap. And, uh, anyway, they said, 
well, it's just too much trouble because we'd have to uh, put him in bed and then we just have to get him up again for his evening. Mm -hmm. So, so Jean, that, uh, Dr. Ferguson, that sounds like it's a, it's, that's an issue of staffing. Is, is, that a, is, that a, is that recurrent? Is that a thing that you're seeing on a regular basis? Yes. Uh, I think this is a, a real problem across the country, certainly here in Nova Scotia. We haven't had a staffing increase in our long-term care facilities for the nursing care in over 14 years. But the acuity of the patient and the frailty of the patient has certainly dramatically increased in that period of time. If you uh, look at, at paperwork put out by the Nova Scotia Health Authority, their own recommendations say that people who are belted into a chair should be moved every two hours. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is certainly not happening. So, so they're not following their own recommendations? Is that what you're no. no, and the no. same is true in hospitals, not just nursing homes. So what is, what, what, what is the solution for that? What, what, can ha what has to happen in order for, that, for them to be able to follow their own regulations? Well, I think there has to be some awareness. Because the population uh, has aged rather rapidly, I don't, think we're, I don't think we're necessarily aware of what's going on here. Mm -hmm. um, the... the acuity of the patient has, has gotten so much greater uh, that I think uh, from an administrative point of view, people may not be aware of what's actually happening on the ground. I remember going into a hospital and seeing an elderly person in the emergency room and he had dementia, but his wife was caring for him at home and she was doing a great job. And this gentleman was uh, pretty advanced. Mm -hmm. And when I got into the emergency room, uh, he definitely had some needs. And I was asking the nurse uh, if we could do a few things, and most of them she agreed with. He was belted into a chair, and I said, now he'll need to be walked and toileted every two hours. And she looked at me, and she said, that will never happen. Mm -hmm. And yet that is exactly what needs to happen. Uh, and the same is true in nursing homes. And when I ask for this, I will frequently be told, look, I'm sorry, we would like to do this, but we simply don't have the staffing that will enable us to do that. One nursing home I visit has a dementia unit where at night they have 27 residents, most of whom are mobile, so they're wandering, and they have two staff for 27. See, and that's the, the pressure on that staff must be incredible. It is, and we have some excellent staff in long-term care that are really working hard and are dedicated to the patient, but the needs have seriously outstripped what they can do. So, so this, back to you, Norma, then the, the next event for you was? Well, they did have a mechanical lift, so that's an improvement. You know, they, mm. it wouldn't take anybody, it, it, it wouldn't injure anybody's back to have put my father back. I couldn't tell at the time whether that was an attitude issue or a lack of time or right. So I couldn't tell. Like staff, staffing or, yeah. And I didn't realize then what I know now. <laughs> and hindsight's 2020. Mm -hmm. I would have been a lot more uh, concerned about what was happening with my dad. Mm -hmm. He was not a complainer. So if he was in pain, um, or left in wet clothing. I, I don't know. Uh, he would not have complained. He would not have right. said. He would have been 
very stoic about whatever happened. Is that typical, uh, Dr. Ferguson? I think many of our seniors uh, are quite used to looking after themselves and, uh, you know, it's personality dependent, but certainly a lot of our seniors uh, are, are very good at, at hiding their needs. Right. Yeah, I can see that. So, so then he, he, was, he got sick of I here. So that was um, in May, in yes. spring, when I first, you know, would start going in and out of business. Mm -hmm. Then in um, September, October, October. no, it was uh, September, I think, the uh, nursing home staff, one of the members called me and said that uh, it was October 11th, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. And uh, said, uh, your father has a couple of skin breaks. And I didn't really think that much of it because he had a skin break that was diagnosed by his home care worker at the, the assisted living place. Mm -hmm. And you, so you don't have to be, you know, very, very uh, well educated to, to find that some, a patient has a skin break. I, mm -hmm. And they treated it and he healed and it was fine. So I, you know, I, I was glad that they were looking for an appropriate mattress for him that had airflow in it. Mm -hmm. And they were going to send for, um, a gel pad for his wheelchair, which he had been given. And um, so that was fine. And then um, a few days later, they called and said, well, we found a bed, we found a bed. Um, and we're going to order that gel pad. And I said, oh, well, that's good, you know. And then- So you weren't alarmed at this point? I was here, yes, but they yeah. would call me. But I, I never saw this other than the people on the floor. I don't know. I can't remember who the name of the person yes. who called me officially, you know, to tell me these things. So um, anyway, I, I do work at the big fiddle market in the summer. Mm -hmm. So I am not as available at that time as I am during the year. Well, and it lasts until the end of October. So I was, you know, not there every day. Mm -hmm. And then, um, in uh, two weeks after my the initial call, they called one day and they reached my husband and said, um, we're sending uh, John to the emergency room because he, his color doesn't look good and uh, he has a fever. So Bob called me at the market and I said, okay, well, he said, I'll go down and see how, how things are. Well, he called me about an hour later and he, he was told by the emergency room doctor that my father was in septic shock mm -hmm. and had infected bed sores and was not expected to live the night. This was, and, and uh, uh, Bob, you had no idea about this. You had no. Oh, I mean, when I got the phone call, of course, I was alarmed. Of, I went right down and mm -hmm. um, we had no idea that the bed sores had gotten to the point where they were. Right. And one of them was the size of a fist. Yeah. So, I mean, they would have known that this was happening and actually Norma could talk to it, but the doctor actually had recognized that two weeks. He had actually diagnosed it. Oh yeah, I know yeah. it was properly diagnosed in the beginning, but I don't, I couldn't understand how it could be that serious in two weeks. Mm -hmm. So I went over immediately and we brought my mother in to yeah. say goodbye to him. 
because yes. that, that was the only humane thing to do. And then, of course, she wouldn't go back very willingly with us. We had to. Mm. No, this is this is it. Yeah, this is very human and very tragic. Yeah, and oh, yeah. Um, she wanted to stay there all night, and uh, I, she was I wasn't allowed to leave her there. Mm -hmm. and, uh, anyway, um, when the, before the ER doctor left his shift, he said to me, "There is a very slight chance that he could rally." So um, we stayed as late as we could left our phone number. We did finally get mother to, to agree to come uh -huh. with us. So we did take her back over to Harvestine. And then um, we left our phone number and went home to try and have, have a bite to eat and go mm. to sleep a few hours. Next morning, we, I called and they said he, he, is, he didn't pass away. Mm -hmm. He rallied. And so we went in right away. Of course, he was pretty out of it. He wasn't yeah. himself at all. He was almost like a, in an unconscious state. He was almost like Well, uh, a couple of days later, they moved him, a day later, they moved him up to a Red River floor in the hospital. And he saw a, a wound specialist, right. Dr. McMullen. And he was the kindest, most... Yeah. Um, appropriate doctor I have met in the whole situation because he, you know, he explained to me that he had multiple bed sores. He had one that was very large. He said, mm -hmm. now if it would heal, but he mm -hmm. said, um, you know, we will, we will certainly be able to heal the, the smaller mm -hmm. ones, but he's going to need good nutrition and a lot of protein. So I made sure initially that I was in there at least once a day to feed him a meal because if he could eat one really good meal plus some insure and I started bringing in bananas. And, uh, but Dr. McMullen also warned that uh, uh, coming out of sepsis is very hard. Right. He said, I don't know what it'll Ninety-three year old. Right. So, Doctor Ferguson, this this is, sounds like it's very stressful on families. It, is this typical? So, this, this kind of suddenly the the onus being on the family to do the care. Um, I don't think there's ever a time when families um, are not going to have to do some advocacy, mm -hmm. uh, particularly when you have the resource constraints that we have right now. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the situation with Mr. Ferguson was tragic. Uh, and, you know, I, I think one of the reasons we, we've gotten together is we're hoping to try and prevent this happening to anybody again. So, so, the, so uh, the, the, we mentioned the tragedy. You, you lost your father. Yes. Yeah. Uh, after, um, well, it, by uh, December... Uh, an opening came up on the waiting list and mm -hmm. you could go to our first choice nursing home, but right. my mother would go first because they had a female bed available. Yeah. And then, so my father waited in the hospital another three weeks. Right. <laughs> and he, he did, have, was treated for a urinary tract infection mm -hmm. because they had to catheterize the hospital. And um, 
But anyway, he was eventually transferred to uh, the cove where my mother was. Mm -hmm. And um, he only stayed there for two weeks and he became very ill. Mm -hmm. I went in one Sunday after French. He was, he looked like he was dying. And uh, they said they couldn't find his family doctor. Yeah. And so I said, well, can't you get the doctor who's covering here? To yeah. Because they don't administer IV treatment at a nursing home. Right. And uh, so, and, they, and he was on antibiotics, but they couldn't get him, him into him. So I said, oh, can't you do something? Uh, yeah. Wait for his doctor. So they did call uh, the attendant and instructed them to bring him to the ER. Right. And uh, we followed over there and stayed with him. But this time, uh, a doctor uh, showed up who was substituting for the family doctor, and he said that my father was not going to recover this time. I'm sure. Things going wrong with him. So uh, he, had, he went up on a floor for just a day, and they said there was an opening on palliative care. And that was a, a fantastic place to be. And I have to spend some days and watch somebody die. It, it's very peaceful there. Yeah. But it's uh, also very hard to watch somebody. But there were, there were multiple issues, right? Dr. Ferguson, the, the multiple issues is, a, is, a, is, is part of this problem, isn't it? That it, that it isn't just one thing, it's a, it starts to compound with age, right? I think it's a healthcare system that was never designed to care for seniors in the numbers and with the complexity that we're, we're dealing with them now. Right, okay. So, so you started Families for Quality Elder Care. What, what, are some, what, are, what is it that you're hoping will happen with this organization, with this group? I think the main thing is we want to build awareness to the problems out there that a lot of people are not aware. And we find this from phone calls that we get and also from uh, visits that we have from people and some of the people that are, you know, at least outreach to us. Mm -hmm. They're not aware, they weren't aware of all the difficulties that were going on until they had a patient of their own or they knew of someone else or something else has happened in their family. Mm -hmm. so we're finding that the, what we're trying to build is awareness with Dr. Ferguson to the issues that are out there to the point where something can be done in a positive manner that will you know, benefit basically the elders that are out there, the seniors that are out there. As Dr. Ferguson said, the quality needs to increase because the population that is going into the status of being 85 and over for one thing, um, they're gonna need more help. They're gonna need better training. They're gonna need a lot of things to help mm -hmm. these people out. So we're hoping we can make that awareness, uh, not just to the government and to the other but we also to other people that are maybe getting into this situation. Right. Families that are moving, families that are moving towards this. Moving towards that. Well, okay. another thing too is that um, a lot of people who have had, had struggles like this um, are too scared to come mm -hmm. forth and speak up and say mm -hmm. anything. And I was made aware of the uh, protection of, of um, people in, in care. Mm -hmm that was passed in 2006 that that uh, re, re, people should report uh, right. or uh, failure to use proper medical procedures and once those bed sores were diagnosed there should have been a protocol followed 
that would have, and somebody should have noticed they were getting worse instead of better. So, Dr. Ferguson, this the advocacy group will be will be looking at policies and issues, and 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 if they have recommendations, will they be hoping that they'll get some teeth for this? I hope so. Uh, I think we're certainly this is certainly a timely uh, issue because this is not going to get any better without no. some uh, without the government addressing this. Okay, so I'm talking. I've been talking with uh, Bob and Norma Silverstein. Thank you so much for talking to me about this. And uh, Dr. Ferguson, thank you, Jean Ferguson. We're hoping that families who are struggling can turn to us. I mean, that was one of the reasons where I didn't know anything about mm -hmm. turning to anybody except calling this 800 number to the Department of Health and Wellness, who are investigating themselves. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. In some areas, they have an independent. That invest these things. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's part of it. We want to make sure that they are starting to reach out to us, mm -hmm. so that we can be a support group to them because we have found that working with the medical systems and healthcare, uh, we have a handicapped daughter as well. That people need to have some direction. Yes. Where to go? They just don't know where to reach out, and they get angry otherwise. Mm -hmm. Yes. There are things. Well, it's frustration. This frustration and anxiety yeah. that starts to play a part. So we can help with that. We can help people understand basically where they're at. We can have people that actually are experiencing things that you can open up to mm -hmm. and find out what's being done and that's what's, what's the best approach that you should have. Right. And Dr. Ferguson, are you, are you getting a, um, is there's a medical uptake on this? Are, there, are people getting involved from the medical community? There's a lot of family docs and uh, specialists that are concerned about the uh, lack of appropriate uh, cares for our senior patients. If for no other reason, then these people are in hospital beds where sometimes they don't need to be because mm -hmm. we don't have adequate nursing home beds where they do need to be. And they need the same uh, type of good care in both, uh, in both settings. So, yes, I think the medical community is, is very concerned about this at this point. Great. Okay, thank you so much. For, for being with me today and for talking with us on, on Shift for Brains. And, uh, and they can get a hold of you at the uh, website, which will be on our website as well. And, uh, and uh, all the best. Hmm? What is the number? Could you give me the number? Numbers talk. Numbers. People that get involved and stand up for what has to be done, addressed, the, the more impact we will have. Right. Thank you. Just one before you go off. Um, yes. People that will be 85 years old uh, in 2030, they'll be qu it's quadrupling. Quadru yeah, the numbers. Quadrupling. Yes. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you all so much for your time. Thank you. Bye-bye right. bye now. Thank bye, you. Bye, everybody. Thanks, so. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Shift for Brains. If you wish to comment or you want to join in the discussion or you want to give us some ideas for future podcasts, you can contact us on Twitter at Shift Brains Pod, on Facebook at Shift for Brains Pod, or on our website, shiftforbrains.ca. This is a creative endeavor brought to you from ARC, whose mandate is to create space for authentic human exchange. If you want to know more about ARC, we're on Twitter at ARCWorksCA, Facebook backslash ARCWorksCA, or at our website, www.arcworks.ca